When all is ready, I throw this switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collected Edition, comic book podcast where we discuss the famous and infamous runs and story arcs throughout the history of comics. Today, special Halloween edition. Ooh. <laughs> Very scary. Uh, I'm Ghoul Matthew Carr, and with me, as always, is Brian K. Reese. The K stands for Killer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, actually, today on the program, it's good to be here, too. <laughs> How are you, Brian? Uh, I'm fantastic. Yeah. Let's hope, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, So, but actually on the program today, we'll be doing Batman The Long Halloween, the classic story written by Jeff Loeb with art by Tim Sale. But first, since this is a Halloween special, we have decided, and by we I mean me, to talk about, <laughs> to talk about our recommendations for horror comics. Now, I'm a big fan of horror comics, and Brian is more of a you know, casual fan, would you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely more casual. And okay. uh, you, you were the horror comic expert. Of... Uh, I'm not about expert, but you know, fan is definitely the way to right. put it. So anyway, I might be talking more than usual. Sorry for that in advance. Uh, would you like to begin or shall I? <laughs> well, you, when you posed this earlier today with uh, giving me uh, very little to no time. It was inspiration, Brian. <laughs> Uh, so I, you know, I was just like, I did, I, top of my head. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, I think I settled on two, there are two things, uh, and, and I think they're both classics. They are not going to be obscure. They're not going to be shocking. Well, might be shocking, uh, <laughs> in some ways, but, uh, so I, I guess like in the time I had as, as I thought about it, I, I think I went with two, two things that, uh, two horror comics that <laughs> I, together. That go great together, yes. And the first, of course, is uh, is EC Comics. Classics. Right. You know, I mean, it, and it's, I, I think it's hard to beat those in some ways, uh, partly because of the history of EC Comics and, you know, the, the shocking nature of them that, uh, that, that shook the world to its core when they came out. Yeah. Uh, it seduced know. the innocent back it in the day. It seduced the innocent and uh, gave us the... Um, uh, the comics code and uh, yeah. uh, various other things. But I, I still think, you know, with with titles like, you know, Crypt of Terror and Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and The, the Haunt of Fear. And when you read those, because I have several, like I have a lot of the collections. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of hard. Like I, I think 20 different publishers have tried to collection, collect it over the years. But, you know, it's genuinely scary shit stuff. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and, but the artwork in it is really, really good. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, and, and sometimes too good. I mean, there's a reason I think that some parents were concerned. I don't agree with the concern and I never will like with that level of censorship, but uh, you read some of that stuff that EC was putting out and it was, it was pretty horrific. And like you said, the art uh, didn't pull punches. No, it didn't. But I, you know, I just don't think it's a bad thing. Kids seeing things, um, kind of disturbing things like horror comics or or scary movies or something like that, it can be in many ways benefit. Was it was beneficial to me in my childhood? Um, I remember sneaking into The Shining when it first came out, and I was just a youngin. We used to do this thing where there was a movie theater in our neighborhood that two th- had two theaters. One always played a PG movie, and one always played an R movie. 
Yeah, we had one of those. Yeah, so we would buy tickets for the, my kid, my friends and I would buy tickets for the PG film and then sneak into the R one. Right. And we did that for The Shining. And, oh, man, that scared the bejiggers out of me. Yeah. I couldn't, I, I, I could, you know, you know I, I couldn't sleep at night, but I couldn't tell my parents that, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> saw a really <laughs> horrible movie. And for me, it was like my godparents who were uh, a little more open about film and stuff. They used to take me to movies all the time, like uh, being raised by a single mom and that I was. And so I remember that they talked my mom into taking me to a drive-in theater to see uh, Clash of the Titans. Uh, what they didn't tell my mom that it was a double feature where it was Clash of the Titans followed by Poltergeist. Ooh, that's a good one. And I, that's the first horror movie I think I remember seeing in a, well, it wasn't a theater, it was a drive-in, but same thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not the same thing, but the same thing. Yeah, that was my first memory of like seeing a scary movie, not just on TV, like edited or what have you. But all and, of this about... <laughs> and no, and we came out of it, it came out of it just fine. But yes. That's debatable. But I agree with you, EC Comics, fine choice right there. Yeah. And, and then, of course, I have to go with my favorite, which, uh, again, will, will be no surprise, particularly folks who have listened for a while. It's like, and it's Hellblazer. And Another it, classic. And it, it's, yeah, it's always Hellblazer. I, it's just, uh, besides the incredible, you know, besides being created by uh, John Constantine, being created by Alan Moore, I mean, the, the level of writers that have written Hellblazer over the years is just astonishing, you know. Garth Ennis to Jamie Delano to Warren Ellis to Neil Gaiman, Brian Azzarello, Peter Milligan uh, finished up that 300 issue run of Hellblazer in incredible form. It just, yeah. uh, you know, the thing about Hellblazer is it, it veers wildly, uh, depending on the writer, from the level of horror versus the level of sort of satire. But when people like, particularly Jamie Delano, I think really nailed the the sort of horror aspects of john constantine and those are some really spooky spooky comics oh yeah and again the artwork is just perfect for it, it it's disturbing but uh compelling yeah it's good stuff. i mean off the, off the top of my head you know it's there's there's tons of other great horror comics out there that i'm just not as versed in uh to speak to you one could argue swamp thing has an element of horror to it yeah it's uh, horror-esque yeah, you know, I, I think I'm just thinking of Vertigo stuff for some reason because Shade the Changing Man certainly did as well. You know, it's again, I'm just kind of off the top of my head, like with uh, with my limited experience. So those are kind of my two favorite sort of go tos for horror. I, I imagine Paul that your selections will be pretty fascinating. Well, uh, so what I've done, I didn't want to go into an endless list. <laughs> So I just wanted to talk about a couple of things, a couple of things that I've been reading recently, and then I'll just uh, list off some uh, current ongoings that I think people should be reading or give a shot anyway. So as I mentioned back in episode 41 on our Lone Wolf and Cub episode, I haven't been that big on manga in general. I've read a few things here and there. That is until recently uh, when I decided to dive into some manga horror comics. And my God. What a murky and disturbing waters those are to uh, to get into. <laughs> uh, but I think I love it. Okay. Uh, I've only started to scratch the surface of this. There's so much out there that's been going, you know, so many horror manga comics. Um, and you have to get to past the tentacles first, right? Well, yeah. But I, anyway, I've only begun to scratch the surface. And um, 
I started with, uh, I guess, the classics. Uh, and so first off, uh, I would I would recommend uh, Junji Ito, pretty much anything. Oh, before I continue, please forgive my pronunciation. I have a hard time pronouncing English names, so Japanese might be challenging for me. <laughs> Just saying. The author, uh, the author artist, Junji uh, Ito, is considered one of the masters of, of, of the genre. His work is, um, it's really, it's visceral and it's tense and it makes the mundane really terrifying. Hmm. There's a story, uh, all right, so... His big kind of opus, I guess you'd call it, is called Hazumaki. Uh, it's it's about a town that devolves into madness because of because they keep seeing spirals everywhere. And I know that sounds really innocuous, but it's really horrifying. And by the time you get to the end of it, it's it's just really disturbing. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's something I can't really describe it yet. That is really something you have to see because the art really makes it. Okay. The, the story is very simple, but it just keeps getting weirder and weirder and more creepy as it goes along. And and that's kind of what this is. The art is so visceral. Uh, and it's another, another uh, writer author I've been reading is Hideshi Hino. And uh, his stuff is just, ooh, it's very childlike. It's almost cartoonish in style, but it's just gruesome. <laughs> and it's like, I guess, beautifully disgusting is the way to put it. It's just really, I mean, it's, it's just, I guess I'm going to try to put some of this up on the website and maybe on our... Um, Maybe on our new Instagram, yeah. Collected Ed Pod, collect, at Collected Ed Pod. So it's it's just it, it is it's beautiful, but it's really disturbing at the same time. Um, again, I'm just beginning to explore this, but my goodness, it is a it is quite a journey. Uh, it's just a whole new world of stuff that I just uh, haven't really been exposed to. If you if you're into horror comics and you haven't delved into the manga side of things, uh, do so. It's worth your time. Okay. All right. But uh, as far as, you know, kind of ongoing comics, things that I've been reading, uh, I'll, just, I'll just run through these really quickly, and then we can get on with it. Uh, there's a, a fairly recent series called Red Mother. It's out of Boom Studios by uh, Jeremy Hahn, who wrote The Beauty, and uh, Danny Luckert, the artist who did Regression. Fairly new series, like I said. It's really building a strange world of other dimensions and possession and secret societies. Really good stuff. Another one is Something is Killing the Children, also out of Boom. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's James Tinian, James Tinian, and uh, Werther Deledra. I recommended this last year at, the, at our end of the year thing. Um, mm-hmm. It had just begun at that point. It's pretty well established now, and it's really starting to take off and build the mythology and and build its world. And it's still very disturbing. Highly recommend that one. And finally, Gideon Falls. Uh-huh, uh yeah, yeah. This is out of Image. It's an uh, ongoing as well yeah it's ongoing by jeff lemire and uh, uh andrea sorrentino it's been going for a while and um it's, it's coming just, to an end soon i know but it's just gotten so bonkers and creepy now yeah yeah it, there's time travel and interdimensional alternative realities and, and man- it seems to have started off as a straight kind of horror comic and just went woo yeah yeah it just yeah it's been it's really trippy now i mean there's a man made of bugs mm-hmm so so for that alone, you should check it out. But anyway, those are my recommendations. I, well, I definitely, uh, Gideon Falls, I, I can't speak to the others. Well, trust me. I like these things. Believe me. So if you've got nothing else, let's take a break and uh, come back with the long Halloween. All right. Sounds good, Paul. Adventures into the unknown. Tales from the crypt. Skeleton hand. The haunt of fear. The Vault of Horror. Adventures into Terror. Strange Tales. Uncanny Tales. Journey into Mystery. The House of Secrets. 
The House of Mystery. The Phantom Stranger. Doctor Thirteen. Doorway to Nightmare. The Witching Hour. Strange Suspense Stories. Worlds of Fear. Chamber of Chills. Terror Tales. The Beyond. Tomb of Terror. Weird War Tales. The Twilight Zone. Creepy. Dark Shadows. Vampirella. The Haunted Tank. The Heap. Eerie. Swamp Thing. Weird Mysteries. Tomb of Dracula. Tales of the Unexpected. Werewolf by Night. The Demon. Man Thing. Monster of Frankenstein. Brother Voodoo. The Son of Satan. Night Force. The Living Mummy. The Sandman. Tomb of Darkness. Evil Ernie. Saga of the Swamp Thing. Flinch. Hellblazer. Thirty Days of Night. Preacher. The Walking Dead. What do these titles have in common? All of them. From Adventures into the Unknown, to Tales from the Crypt, to the House of Mystery, to the Tomb of Dracula, may be found in the Long Box of Darkness. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me every Monday night for a journey into comic book horror as we delve into the secrets of the Long Box of Darkness. So listen if you dare, puny mortals, to the Long Box of Darkness, available on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. Good night, and pleasant screams. <laughs> And we're back. So on today's podcast, we'll be discussing Paul's selection. Paul, what do you have for us today? Well, today, we're going to be talking about the long Halloween. And it goes a little something like this. There have been many iconic and influential stories in the history of Batman. It seems that every decade we get a new definitive take on the Dark Knight. And in the 1990s, that definitive take was the long Halloween. Written by Jeff Loeb with art by Tim Sale, The Long Halloween was a 13-issue limited series published between 1996 and 1997. It follows close on the heels of Batman Year One and is set in the early career of the Cape Crusader as he attempts to track down a serial killer, simply called Holiday, who kills once a month and only on a holiday. The subject of the holiday killings is the Gotham City crime families, specifically that of Carmine the Roman Falcone, the so-called untouchable crime lord of Gotham City. Along the way, various members of the rogues gallery appear, including the Joker, Solomon Grundy, Poison Ivy, the Riddler, Scarecrow, Mad Hatter, and a very Hannibal Lecter-influenced Calendar Man. During the months that ensue, and as the investigation rolls on, we see Bruce Wayne become compromised. 
Batman and Catwoman drip with sexual tension, and Gotham City as a whole start to devolve into paranoia and familial relationships of all kinds begin to fray, all culminating in the tragedy and downfall of District Attorney Harvey Dent and the creation of the criminal Two-Face. The Long Halloween is a noir-style murder mystery, told in terse language by Jeff Loeb and rendered beautifully by Tim Sale with stylized, atmospheric, and striking art. It tells an epic story on a street-level scale. The Long Halloween was acclaimed upon its release and continues to influence the Batman mythos right up until today. Brian, what'd you think of The Long Halloween? Ah, well, um, I mean, it's a classic, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's nothing most of us haven't read. And if we haven't read, why haven't we read it yet? (laughs) Yeah. So it was interesting uh, going back to revisit it. Uh, I feel like I say this every time we do a podcast. It's interesting going back to revisit this comic that we're going back to revisit. (laughs) Well, that's Um, kind of, that's kind of the premise of the program. Exactly. (laughs) Um, It is interesting to do the thing that is interesting. So, Reading it with a different critical eye this time uh, maybe exposed some things in the story that I hadn't quite noticed before or had glossed over before. It's it's a fun comic. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's classic Batman, but it's I, I don't know. There's there's uh, there's a few issues with it maybe and I, I think we'll hit on those i don't i'm not going to lay out the uh, a litany of it now i enjoyed it as ever i but it, it, what i also noticed is it's a really fast read it's a really easy read and i think there's a reason for that which again we don't have to touch on here with my initial reaction but uh, uh i so you know i think there's some things to discuss yeah i agree with you and um Okay, I want to <laughs> right up in front. I want to clarify my position before we start, so that okay, you know, I, I don't want to piss everybody off. Uh, I really like this story. I do. Um, Same here. Yeah, but I don't love it. If that makes sense, I like it. Yeah. I don't love it. And we'll get into the specifics as we go along. But there are just a few little things that fall flat for me. And while I like the story, those few things, if they had just been a little different or expanded on, this could have been a masterpiece. And right. as it is, as it is, it's just really good. That's it. <laughs> and that's fine. But I do want to emphatically say that while I'm probably going to seem critical and negative during our discussion, that doesn't detract from my enjoyment or appreciation of the comic. Right. Um, I do think it's really good, but um, we're probably going to pick it apart a little bit. And what I, I, I guess right at the bat, I want to say that it's a masterclass of art by Tim Sale. Oh, the art is great. It's yeah. just phenomenal. I, I love Tim Sale anyway. I his uh, the work that he has done in comics. Uh, he's an incredibly expressive artist, and uh, he was a perfect choice for this comic. So, oh, yeah. one of the yeah. biggest takeaways from this is Tim Sale's art, which is phenomenal. Right. I mean, that noir. You know, all the shadows, the noir style shadows, and just the highly stylized. Uh, you know, like the Joker's smile. Right and, and poison ivy's seemingly made of of ivy. Uh, it's just about and, and Batman himself. Batman just looks powerful and imposing, right. and just you know every every page that has him doing these hero poses, and it just looks so good. Yeah, and there's even like at some point there's even a, a callback to the Dark Knight uh, 
the Frank yeah. Miller night where he's yeah. jumping off a building. And of course, you always have to have that sort of weird pose when he jumps off the building that nobody jumping off a building would actually look like when they're jumping off a building. But Batman always seems to look like that. Yes. And, uh, you know, and Catwoman's always just kind of doing a swan dive off of yeah. tall buildings with nothing below her. I just, Catwoman can give you feelings the way she's drawn. <laughs> just saying. Special feelings. <laughs> exactly. But yes, the artwork is, 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 is stunning. If nothing else, that's just, just that's something to look at. But also, um, as far as the storytelling, it's, 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 you know, it's, a good, it's good mystery storytelling. It has good pacing as far as doling out the information. Of course, there's a little bit of a twist at the end that wasn't really foreshadowed. Not really foreshadowed, and that there may be a, like a flaw in the twist. Yeah, but uh, we could get to that. Yeah, we get to that. We'll we'll get to the ending. And you know, by the way, if you haven't read this, full on spoilers. We're just we're just gonna spoil the hell out of this. It wouldn't be fun to talk about if we didn't spoil it. So yeah, would, where would you like to begin? Do you want to just uh, to go through the Your story? Oh, well, like uh, you start how you want to start. Well, we're. <laughs> this is this is a partnership, my friend. <laughs> well, I'll just I'll ask you for as far as discussion. Do you want to talk about the story, or do you want to talk about the themes? Let's start with the let, well. Let's start with the story um, because I think like some of the flaws in the story will lead to the themes, and some of the flaws in the themes are like vice versa. So, uh, well, it begins on Halloween. Actually, it uh, begins in July. Begins in July. I thought it began on Halloween. Yeah, they, there's oh, a reference. Right. In the hottest yeah. July. Yeah. You now the the, mur- the first murder takes place on Halloween. I think that's where well, I was. First talking. issue. The first issue kind of like goes from what July through October. Again, all right. So the, it's the, the whole premise is that it starts. Batman's still early in his career, kind of you know getting his footing. He's he he is fully Batman in this, but he's still early in his career. He has a reputation, but he's not a mature Batman yet. He's not the Dark Knight yet. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of uh, shows because of his tactics are a bit unrefined at this point. Right. And yeah. it takes 12 months to solve a murder. Which I'm going to get to. I have thoughts on that. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. So the first killings, the first holiday, the, the first kill that Holiday makes is on Halloween. And it's a, a, it's a member of the Falcone crime syndicate. And or not at all like the Corleones in any way, shape, or form. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Between The Godfather and Silence of the Lambs, you can kind of see where the influence is coming from. <laughs> uh, but I, I do like the fact that the, all the rogues gallery bad guys are here, but it's still, uh, Gotham is still basically run by mobsters. Right. By mob. And there's various points throughout the comic where the the mobsters refer to the uh, the sort of super criminals, the you know, as freaks, and that the 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 idea that the the mobsters don't work with the supervillains, right? And, and that's kind of nice to see. I like I like it when a story kind of fleshes the life in Gotham out. You see the crime families alongside uh, alongside the supervillains and how that relationship works, but you also see kind of normal people going about their day in Gotham, uh, which is. You know, I like that. Right. It, it kind of shows you why people live in Gotham. Because, you know, sometimes you think, why would anyone live in that city at all? It's, it's nothing but constant crime and death. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe move to Metropolis. It's brighter. 
After the killings begin, so there's a, the first kill is on Halloween, the second kill is on Thanksgiving. Et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. And then you have Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day. And you see uh, Batman beginning to work with Commissioner Gordon, with Jim Gordon, and Harvey Dent. And right. they're kind of you know, feeling each other out. And It's establishing the, re- the relationship between the three of them at the time, and of course, more, more certainly the relationship between... Uh, Batman and, and ultimately Batman and Jim Gordon. And you got to see where they all have respect for one another, but Harvey Dent is not so sure about Batman, but Batman has full respect of, of Harvey Dent because of course he knows him as Bruce Wayne. Although Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne have a conflicting relationship a little bit. I mean, Bruce Wayne is a supporter of Harvey Dent, but Harvey Dent uh, just thinks of Bruce Wayne as a playboy and a, and a ne'er-do-well. <laughs> so much so that he focuses some of the attention of uh, and tries to arrest Bruce. Well, via a manipulated situation where... Right. It, it's kind of it's kind of convoluted where... Okay. I don't... I, well, the plot I, is... So I, I think uh, I, I think the issue is that the plot here, the plot... Uh, so this is 13 issues. Mm-hmm. Possibly could, but could have been told in two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, the plot really isn't that complex. You have the mobster families, right, who are being killed off by a holiday killer. Bruce uh, or Batman, Harvey Dent, Jim Gordon uh, team up to try to solve it. There are some shenanigans that the mobster family does when they finally team up with the supervillains that they say they won't. There are shenanigans done to frame Bruce Wayne uh, for things that he hasn't done. Uh, Bruce Wayne gets arrested. Uh, he gets acquitted pretty darn quickly. The arrest seems kind of inconsequential in some ways. The arrest uh, and then the arrest and trial went really quickly. In real life, that doesn't go like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I think it was done to establish the, you know, fracture between uh, Bruce Wayne and uh, and Harvey Dent. You know, people keep getting killed. Eventually, the murderer is revealed and captured. Harvey sort Dent. Of. Sort of, well, yeah. Uh, Harvey Dent uh, gets acid thrown in his face and turns to the dark side, um, as it were. and uh, Or gets a dark side. Gets a dark side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, I, it does... All right, so the things that this does well is you can see Harvey Dent's deterioration. Right. In the beginning, he's skeptical but hopeful, and he gets slowly, slowly more put upon. I mean, he's already gone right. well before... The acid gets hit in his face. Gets in his face. Right. Yeah. That just that just exposes what's already been happening to yeah. him. So I think that's really done well. And I do. Th- uh, I'm just going to talk about a couple of things that I think are done really well in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the backstory on the Waynes is is quite good. Right. Yeah. You know, it gives you a little bit on the Thomas Wayne and how you know he was a moral, upstanding guy. He would even help mobsters because he you know just had to save lives. Right. Well, uh, on the hippo. Yeah, he had. Do no harm and... Yeah, exactly. And the idea that Bruce was the one who talked his mother into wearing the pearls to go to the movies because the, the people who eventually killed her, or the person who eventually killed her, was go, were going after the pearls. Was going for the pearls. Well, uh, in some... Also, yeah. pearls. It's become such a cliche in Batman right, right now. Pearls! I really hope, I'm crossing my fingers, that the new Batman film has a flashback to the scene in Crime Alley. Because we haven't seen that before, so I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I think, yes. Every time there's a Batman movie, I think we need to have his origin story. 
Oh, God. Well, this is why I can't watch superhero films, especially the first ones sometimes, because it's just the origin story. And I'm like, oh, God, not this again. And Spider-Man does the same thing. Not to the, get sidetracked. Uh, the latest Spider- Spider-Man film, Homecoming, bypasses all that, by the way. Okay. Well, that's yeah. a relief. Yeah, he's already established by the time that film comes along. That's neither here nor there. So, so there are many things that this story does well as far as establishing the characters. Even the, um, the origin of Two-Face there's some, you know, that idea of being in the courtroom and throwing acid in his face. Uh, it gives you some backstory, and and he has an evil assistant, uh, a conniving, you know, wiener. Vernon. Vernon. Damn you. Vernon. Never trust a man named Vernon. Uh, and we just lost all of our Vernon readers. <laughs> yeah, so, it, so there's so much that it does well, but the actual mystery itself is a little convoluted in that, all right, well, I will get your opinion on this. Okay. Did, were you satisfied with the reveal of the killer? No. No. Okay, good. Because <laughs> neither was I. I mean, it's... Uh, or either of the killers. Uh, either one of the three? <laughs> yeah. Well, were there three or were there two? Or was there only one? Exactly. So, the, so what we're trying to... Was the killer really the killer? You know, it's... Yeah, so it's, so it's revealed... One of the killings, the killing on, on New Year's Eve was... Carmine Falcone's son, Alberto. That's he's killed. But it's really a ruse. He wasn't killed. And he comes back and is exposed as the killer. That he was really the holiday killer and he faked his own in the death. Last, yes, in the last issue. And he, he faked, he's the killer of Moroni in the last issue. Right. But it turns out that he wasn't really the killer. He's just the patsy. And the real killer was Harvey Dent. But... It wasn't or really, was it? it wasn't really Harvey Dent. It was his wife. <laughs> and you and you find out that little twist on the very last page. I had to go back and read that a couple of times going, wait, really? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think it's the problem is it's it's not clear and it's yeah. it's clever by half. I, mean, um, I know I know in the beginning they kept every time they talked to Calendar Man. By the way, Calendar Man is in Arkham Asylum and he's in a glass booth, just like Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. and Batman. And Jim Gordon keep going there to to kind of get information. It's, it's exactly like Calendar Man is jealous of the Holiday Killer because he says at one point, "I'm being forgotten." Exactly, uh, but they're trying to you know use the serial killer to find a serial serial killer kind of trope. And he keeps referring to the killer as he and he and she. Yeah, it's she, or maybe it was he, or it was she. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's the foreshadowing. Yeah, um, I suppose was, yeah, sure. Yeah, because I think th- I thought that they were trying to make us think it was Catwoman. Well, I think there was because there's a there's one whole issue just dedicated almost exclusively to Batman and the Riddler theorizing as to who it might be. Like the whole issue, with an exception of a couple panels that move the plot along. I I, I okay. I like the fact that they focus a lot on Batman as a detective. I, I think more Batman stories need to do that. Right. I, I would love to see him return to being a detective. I don't like the fact that most of the things he does as a detective in this, he either doesn't follow up on or gets completely wrong. Yeah. Well, and it, again, like you, you like you mentioned, I mean, this is supposed to be early on in his career or whatever, but th- there's there's no way this should take should have taken 12 months to solve. Right. It's like, what else are they doing in their meantime? I mean, that's one of the things that it doesn't show is like, it, it just... It feels like, uh, you know, Batman just comes out for two days every month to like... Yeah. Oh, crap, there's a holiday coming up. I better do something. 
to talk to Jim Gordon about like, you know, and then, then he just goes away for the other 28 to 29 days. Well, sometimes he, uh, he bullies people and, and destroys evidence. He does that too. Well, they're right. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. There's a seed. And um, Nolan's Dark Knight takes this visual. There's, they go into a warehouse, Batman and Harvey Dent, and there is a gigantic pile of money. Huge pile right. of money. It's, it's Roman Falcone's money. Right. Uh, which is a cool visual. But in order to hurt Roman Falcone, Batman burns all the money. That's evidence that could have been used to make a case against Falcone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you have the district attorney and yeah. yeah, and the district attorney, the city's top lawyer standing there. He could he should have said, maybe we shouldn't do this. It's a possibility we could use this as evidence against the man we're trying to catch. Yeah. But to be, to be fair, they couldn't because they had acquired that information illegally. Yeah, see, even Nucky doesn't buy that. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a no way. Ladies uh, and gentlemen, our third podcaster has, uh, has weighed in. Yeah, I just, there's several things in here where I was like, okay, you're a little heavy headed there, Bats. Okay, here's the thing. I kind of teased this before we started, uh, before we started recording. Uh, and I'm going to throw this out there. I'm not making a definitive statement. I just, okay. want, you, I just want your opinion and I want to talk through this. Uh, just a thought experiment. If Batman was removed from this story, would the outcome have been different? Did Batman make a difference in this story? Well, oof. yeah. Because I mean, here's my, here's my here's what I was thinking as I was reading through. Okay. With all his detective work, he doesn't really get it right, or at least he ignores. If he, you know, he does suspect Harvey Dent, but he kind of mm-hmm. ignores his conclusions. Even with all that happens, Harvey Dent still goes dark. Two Face is still he still transforms into Two Face. Even before he became the kill, before he became Two Face, he still betrayed his principles. The real Holiday Killer hasn't been caught. As they're transferring Maroni, so at the end they're transferring Maroni. They're using him as bait to kind of right. draw out the Holiday and Killer. Still- and Batman is posing as a guard. Right. Maroni is still shot and killed. You had <laughs> you had one job, Batman. You had yeah, one job. Job. Yeah. Maybe put a Kevlar vest on the prisoner you're supposed to be protecting, <laughs> as well as yourself. And, and you know, maybe maybe move them with a huge contingent of people in the broad light of day, as opposed to like two people through a sewer. Exactly. Uh, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean that 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 struck me as you know kind of like you know it yeah, didn't even protect the guy that you were. But um, even in, even in the end, he doesn't catch the killer. I mean, Harvey Dent, Two Face, but he's Two Face. He eventually turns himself in right. without with you know Batman doesn't do anything to catch him. Batman really doesn't do anything like like some of my notes um like their whole issues where all i write is like what's what's one of them i was like you know i like some of my notes are just joker slash maroney batman slash maroney dent slash joker it's it's basically just like two different people getting together and talking to each other right (laughs) and batman does a lot of just showing up and talking to people and never really getting the answers to his questions yeah and um, possibly getting in the way of the investigation? Maybe so. Although, you know, I think Harvey Dent did his own, you know. Uh, Jim, yeah, Jim yeah. Gordon doesn't do anything. He tries to <laughs> cheer everybody up. He tries to cheer everybody, you know, because noted, you know, joyous, happy man, Jim <laughs> Gordon. <laughs> joyous, happy man. Well, you were talking about manga earlier. That sounds like a manga. Yes, uh, <laughs> joyous, happy man, Gordon. Joyous, happy man. But you know, that's his, that's his manga spinoff. It's 
it's but you know what does what does Jim Gordon do throughout the whole thing? He just kind of follows Harvey Dent around, and yeah. um, then he kind of follows Batman around, and occasionally he he gives some moral edicts uh, to Harvey Dent about how you know you can't kill him, you have to prosecute him. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, I guess it it all comes down to uh, you know the the butterfly effect. Maybe uh, it's um, if Batman weren't there for X, Y, or Z things, things would have gone differently, or or what have you. And you know, the, my question is what what is what does Catwoman have to do with any of this? Uh, to to distract Batman every once right. in a while, I, mean, I guess. It's, there's like, and they never really answer the question. You know, Batman asked her at one time, "How come you're always around when I'm like, you know, hunting down the Falcons?" And we never really get an answer. No. And she ends up being inadvertently the death of uh, Falcon's sister. Yeah. I mean, what was up with that? <laughs> it's just, he just he just she just kicks her out a window. Yeah. And again, that was another part I had to reread and went, wait a second. His daughter, yeah. A daughter, um, daughter, not the sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the only, one of the most comp- most interesting things in these issues uh, where Cat, Catwoman scratches uh, Bruce Wayne's face or Batman's face in a certain spot. And then a couple panels later, as Selena Kyle, she points out, oh, did you cut yourself shaving, Bruce? That was... So do and they that know? To me was the most inter- one of the most interesting parts was because she basically just told Bruce uh, Bruce Wayne that she knew he was Batman. Yes, so I was I was going to ask you this: Do they do? Are they supposed to know know their secret identities at this? Point? I, I know. I don't believe at that at that at that point they're not. Okay, because it seems because they don't that, they don't reference it other than the one time where and I think like she cut him on purpose. Okay, because they seem course, to be playing. And, and, they, when they're flirting, it seems to be playing. Well, I was gonna say cat and mouse, but yeah, um, yeah they're they're flirting, and it seems like they kind of know or suspect. They might, yeah. but it's not explicitly stated that. Right. They, okay. But yeah, it's just the Catwoman thing. It's like so. Here's one of my issues. I think overall, and it's I alluded to this. I'm, I think Jeff Loeb. Uh, he he says at the very beginning in the intro, at least in the edition that I have. In the intro, he's like, I, I don't know anything about writing, uh, you know, a gangster or a crime noir comic, you know, and it was Archie Goodwin who was trying to get him to write it. Right. And it kind of shows, but uh, I, I think one of the, like, because I think the plot sometimes is very thin and you have like these, like I said, some of these issues were very quick to read because you had what, what Jeff Loeb, I think, did do right. One of the things he did right is he wrote these incredible sequences for Tim Sale to just go crazy. And so you have issues where, I don't know, how many how many action sequences throughout the 13-issue series involve Batman and Catwoman? It's, it's more than two. Oh, they're, they're, there's quite a few. They're fighting fact, constantly. Yeah, and in fact, there's a, great, the, there's a great sequence where they're chasing each other down a street, having a conversation, and they're just kind of having banter. <laughs> as one does when they're just chasing each other through the streets of Gotham. Exactly. But uh, you know the the advantage that I I I would I, I'm going to get the benefit of the doubt and say that this was intentional uh, again to free up Tim Sale to have a field day. I think the payoff was supposed to be so that when all the all the the rogues ga- gallery characters are sitting in Falcone's office, including right. Penguin, who just Penguin just shows up, just shows up randomly. Hi, I'm here. I'm Penguin. You haven't seen me before in this series, but here I am now yeah. with everybody else who you have seen already. So I think that was supposed to be because she's there, part of the with uh, as part of the villains, 
but we know from all these conversations that she's probably going to help Batman right in the end which I get but it's not much of a payoff well it's not much of a payoff because all these villains show up you know it's Solomon Grundy and Scarecrow and Mad Hatter Joker of course and whatnot and and uh you know, then then they all get defeated in single panels on the <laughs> in the following page. They're just they're taken down in like you know ten, six panels. There's a there's a great bit because uh, Scarecrow and Mad Hatter are hired by Falcone to rob a bank, basically. <laughs> right, and um, and that's a, that's actually a really great sequence. But at one point, they steal all the money. They do a good job, you know. Scarecrow uses his, uh, you know, air mist, air, yeah, air toxin to to make everyone frightened, and it, it's actually really well done. But then they load it up into a Victorian horse-drawn cart <laughs> with bags of with bags of money with dollar signs on it. And I was like, "What? What did we just fall into here? <laughs> it's Gotham by Gaslight all of a sudden." <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and, and don't get me wrong; it's a really cool sequence. Of, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, of Batman chasing this horse-drawn carriage. It's really <laughs> visually fantastic. But I was with looking at... With Catwoman showing up to help him yet again. Exactly. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> this is, it's wonderfully bizarre. Well, and you know, earlier on, when uh, Scarecrow escapes from Arkham, he's right. He's just galloping around on a horse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and... Uh, yeah, right in the beginning, you have this wonderful sequence of the Joker in a biplane uh, wanting to, he wants to kill everybody in, in I was going to say Times, Yeah, New Year's Eve. Wants, I was in the equivalent of Times Square, which goes nowhere, but it's, no. a really, it's a really cool sequence of Joker in the plane and Batman trying to <laughs> hang it on the well, wing. Actually, and it takes up most of the, but that's all Batman does the entire, like everybody else is doing the, the hard work, like on the ground, like with the investigation. And, all Batman does is like play around on an airplane with Joker for the entire issue. Um, I actually, I think in my notes, I wrote generic Joker Batman sequence. Exactly. And because that it, looks, it looks great. There's some humor spits, but it's nothing we haven't seen a thousand times before on the, you know, it's just Batman oh. Joker once again. Oh, again. I mean, it's all Tim Sale. I mean, yeah. that, that huge toothy Joker face and, and, and just him in the plane. and the It's really cool. Right. No, it, I mean, it but, looks great. But what does it accomplish? And that kind of gets to the other thing I think this story fell down on. They, there's an implication. Cupbrink's brought up a couple times. There's an implication that Batman creates the criminals. Right. Batman brushes it off immediately. Like, oh, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But that's the most intriguing aspect of this story and I wish that it had been picked up on. Yeah. Because I mean, and this has been addressed in other comics and not just Batman. Does the presence of a vigilante superhero invite criminals to match him and become vigilante yeah. supervillains? It's it's a common question. It's it's a common thing that's thrown out like at Batman throughout, you know. Right. And that's so but in the in the in the you know context of this story, where it's the transition between the mob run crime into supervillain run crime. And it's kind of the the transition point between the two. The idea that Batman caused that transition would have been a really great subject to, uh, to delve into. And, and again, uh, uh, Jeff Loeb just sort of throws it out there, but then doesn't really pick up on it. Right. And then, and and the reason I'm saying this. Batman created a two face, you know, in some way. Yeah. It's so. Yeah, exactly. So it's so tantalizingly touched on, but it's just dropped. 
And in, again, in the context of this story, when I say, does Batman make a difference? He spends all his time defeating the, defeating the supervillains that he himself created so that, so that it doesn't get in, into the way of the actual crime solving that the police are doing, if that makes sense. It's just, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and I think it, oh, go ahead. No, no, that's just, uh, it's, it's, that's a really good uh, storyline to follow. And it just sort of, it, it, it veered in that direction and then stopped. Right. Well, and yeah. I think it also, yeah. And I, I mean, that's a really good point. And it's, again, like others have addressed that. And I think it's been in other comics uh, talked about, like, and addressed in, in a more meaningful manner. But also just brings up the whole use of the supervillains, too. And it's uh, the follow-up to this, the the next Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb epic Batman. What is it? Dark Victory? or Dark, Yeah, Dark Victory. Um and there's a, there's a Catwoman one as well. Yeah, they do. Does this as well? Where um, it's it's the 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 sort of generic introduction. Like each each episode has to introduce a new villain. It's the sort of uh, Dark Victory. I think does this worse than than this one. But it's like it's like it's it's your villain of the week sort of introduction. Yeah. And again, this uh, I'm trying to transition from what you were saying into like what I think also pairs up but you know because we we have like you know the solomon grundy one in one issue and then the next issue it's the joker or what have you and uh it's 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 kind of it, it and, and this is done in batman particularly quite a bit is a, a lot of story arcs are like here you know poison ivy shows up at one point um you know we haven't even talked about the poison ivy bit about this because it's kind of forgettable Yes. Well, I mean, it, it does feed into the plot, but uh, that's, you know, it's just, it's, it's the, the villain of the week, like introduction in each episode or each issue where the issue is supposed to be based on the villain, but the villains always tend to be like kind of secondary, like, like Batman. It's like you were saying, you know, Batman fighting Joker has nothing to do with the actual plot. It also begs the question, so that we, we spend a year trying to find what's, First of all, they're they're calling this person a serial killer after two people have died, um, and and two and two members of a crime family. So, well, and that's it. It's it's all people in the crime crime families are getting killed, and even the person that they think is innocent, the coroner is while innocent has evidence to. Yes. But uh, it's you know like what's missed in all this is so this serial killer over the course of a year kills. 25 people 20 25 people because a few of the hits are like on some of the you know the thugs yeah the, yeah, the strong men the minions men. or yeah. whatever right whereas joker probably kills more people in an hour <laughs> right yeah, exactly then the serial killer does over uh, over a year and the serial killer is killing you know people in the crime family Whereas the, someone like the Joker or whoever is, is, is are killing uh, innocent people and way more innocent people than than Holiday, <laughs> so it's it, it it's kind of weird. It is, and and again, that's another storyline that could have been followed because you see Joker's jealousy of this person, right? You know, getting all the, getting more popularity than he has, and, and that's actually one of the parts of this that I think is really well done is Joker's reaction to Holiday. But but it's the same thing with Calendar Man. He also gets a little. If they had gone with the way that the supervillains are pissed off at the serial killer for you know kind of stealing their thunder, that would have been an interesting thing to do. But again, that's sort of just dropped and veered away from. Everything kind of culminates in that twist reveal that it's Gilda Dent at the end, sort of, kinda. I do like the the Riddler parts of it too. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? That was very clever that the Riddler is targeted on April Fool's Day and right. doesn't get killed. Yes. Because it's April Fool's Day. Yeah. That's cle- that was clever. I, I, I kind of, you know, I was nodding my head as I was reading it going, yeah, you did good, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good here, but if you think about it too hard, it starts to fall apart. Um, yeah. I mean, I think as, as comics aren't necessarily supposed to be intellectual or, you know, I mean, well, you know, I, I read a lot of stupid comics just because they amuse me. Um, yes. Yes. This is a comic that's held up as like kind of one of the great. To the point where the, the, the next Batman film, the Pattinson Batman is going to be based on this by all no, accounts. Or really? at least, yeah, by all accounts, it's going to be based on this story. Well, hold, take, well, or take that... elements from it, which is fine. You know, there are there are good elements here. There are good story beats that can be mined for a good film. I mean, to, to speak to your point about yes, there are goofy comics and they don't have to be intellectual, but this one is held up as being a you know intellectual read. And 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 don't get me wrong, it is it is a a, a good adult type story. There's an attempt uh, to make it, you know, it, I appreciate, you know, because like, you know, we don't see enough of the gangster element, like the true, like, you know, not the hired thugs or the hired, you know, minions that Joker gets or Riddler or whatever, but an actual crime family. We, we don't really see that in Batman comics anymore. And we, we haven't, we, we you know, because this is, this is also following up on uh, Batman year one. Uh, so this is, I don't want to call it a sequel to Batman Year One, but it is in that world. Exactly, it's in that uh, storyline. Frank Miller kind of brought in, you know, the the underground element uh, the, more than the supervillain element. I, it just the potential is so strong in this, and and again, I mean, I, I love the conceit, you know, the idea that we're going to follow a crime, a recurring crime through a year. It's an interesting conceit, but unfortunately, it serves to make Batman look kind of dumb. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the, the the crime families, because especially in the beginning, those first two issues builds this world. Like I said, it builds, it fleshes out Gotham, so that you see the crime syndicate with the rich, you know, the Bruce Waynes of the world of of, right. the, of Gotham, and all the um, the politicians and the police are all mingling together at parties and at uh, social events. So you get this idea that Gotham is this intertwined, corrupt web of intrigue. And that's right. really cool. Yes. That's really cool. It's not just an innocent city plagued by people in costumes. You, say, you, find, you think there's, a, there's an evil underbelly to the city, and that's really intriguing and cool. Right. And this is pre-Court of Owls, too. So it's... Uh... Exactly. So I, I guess that would have been the next definitive take on The Dark Knight. Like I said in the introduction, there's one every decade. Right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just, I, I, and that's why, like I said, this is, it, to me, a really good story. But it could have been a really great story. Yeah. With just a couple of little things tweaked here and there. I agree. And it feels like we're, we're ripping on it. And I, we, we are and we aren't. It's because I think, you know, it is fun. Like, I enjoyed reading it. You know, and yeah. my first, my first re like when you first recommended it, I just kind of breezed through it, and I was like, oh yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. And then, of course, when I go back to 
So what usually when we recommend something, I, I read it once generically, and then I read it again critically, and then I read it again with notes, and, and mm-hmm. nobody really cares about the process, I guess. But um, but it is interesting, like how one's feel about uh, a piece changes in terms of how they approach reading it. And when I just read it as you know a, a comic just to read through without any expectation i i enjoyed it immensely and you know Mm -hmm. it was a page turner partly because sometimes there was no dialogue for pages at a time (laughs) (laughs) uh i did i did exactly the same thing i i would just read i just read through it the first time through and i just i remember i just kind of just said oh yeah i remember this oh this artwork is great and this action sequence is perfect and then the second time through when i'm trying to you know put on my critique my critics hat I, you, you start to see things and we have experience we've read other batman stories since this was published so you know and we've read and we've read batman stories before this was, you know so. exactly exactly i mean in the end i think i think this is a this is a comic that deserves its praise and the influence it's garnered uh it looks great it's a rollicking read like you said page turner and, but i um i know it, it may I, I know it may seem like i know it may seem like we're being i'm well at least i'm being overly negative uh that's not my intent <laughs> I think no. I think a great piece of art should raise questions and spark discussion. I think it's good to engage with the things you enjoy, to 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 dig deeper, and be critical, while at the same time acknowledging the positive aspects of that art. Great art is complicated, and our opinion should be too. No, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, Long Halloween doesn't necessarily hold up as well against some other uh, Batman stories that uh, we've come to canonize. Yeah, I agree. Do you have anything more to say? Uh, not really. Okay. Uh, I would think we've exhausted it. This is a good story, and I think everyone should read it, uh, if nothing else, just to look for the fabulous art. But uh, but yeah, I think it's a good read. At the end of the day, we say it's a good read. So, Brian, next time on an all-new edition of the Collected Edition, what do, what do you got for us? It's your pick. Well, provided in two weeks, if we're all still alive or exist as a country. <laughs> uh, we're, 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 we're going to delve into some hate. And then what comic are we going to read? <laughs> we're going to delve into some hate by Peter Bagg. Uh, the seminal kind of 90s, well, you know, and most, most folks who read comics will know uh, who Peter Bagg is and, and his, his comic hate. The comic is called Hate. And uh, following the... Uh, the Adventures of Buddy Bradley. So uh, for next time, we're going to read the first collected edition of Peter Bagg's Hate, which is called Hey Bud. So this is sort of the 70s independent comics of the 90s. Yes, very much. Yeah. So along okay. with Daniel Chloe's and some others uh, along those lines, uh, you know, so we'll see though. Uh, will, will, will hate hold up or <laughs> hate have been conquered by time? Uh, oh, I guess. Boy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So we're 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 gonna delve into Peter Bag's hate. That sounds fantastic. So that's it, everybody. Thank you for listening. And uh, as always, please send us your feedback. Uh, you can visit collectededitionpodcast.com and leave a comment on individual on this individual episode, or send us an email to comments at collectededitionpodcast.com, or contact us via Twitter at collectededpod. That's collected E D P O D. Uh, same address for Instagram as well. So if you've got nothing more, Brian. Nope. Okay. I'm going to say until next time, two things. Please vote and keep reading comics. And I will say vote and vote often.
and be well. Goodbye, everybody.